people you know in africa tend to get rejected a lot more than elsewhere so i was kind of seeing that on a daily basis so it kind of mentally prepared me for oh, okay it's normal to get rejected you know it's not a knock on your talent it's not a knock on the kind of work you're capable of sometimes it's just not the right fit the right person that's going to value the work you do is going to reach out to you and you know you're, you're going to work with them Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Webflow, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflows, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Dememe Nambisi. He is a Swiss Army penknife of a designer based in Lagos, Nigeria. He does product design, brand identity design, web design. And I came across his portfolio website, which was so distinctive, I had to get him on the show. It's in the show notes if you want to have a look. It's full of animation, interactions, and playful visuals. And it really shows off how he's worked in various different industries over eight years of doing his creative work. We talk about all sorts of things from uh, the tenacity of Nigerian designers to being seen in the design space, clashing deadlines. And I really think this episode is one of the best episodes. So let's get into this thing. Embrace and learn from failure in episode 28 of Webflow with Dememe and BC. Dememe, welcome to the Webflow podcast. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's it's an honor to, to be here and, you know, talk about the stuff we all love. Now I'm kind of intrigued. So when I was looking at the stats for the Webflow podcast, 2% of my listens come from Nigeria and they actually come from Lagos. Yeah, that's not surprising at all because Nigeria is really popping off. The design space is really popping off, you know, in the last two to three years, you know, there are a lot of amazing emerging designers, you know, from brand identity to UI, UX to web design. People are just, you know, going crazy in the space right now. And it's lovely to see. So having any sort of platform that kind of elevates, you know, design would definitely reach people here because we have this tenacity to learn and, you know, to like build and do great things. So that's not surprising to me at all that you have an audience here. It's it's just how things are now. Yeah, it's, I was like, looking at the stats, I was like, Oh my god! Like people in Nigeria listening to Webflow is epic. So I've been I've been stalking you online. You're a bit of a Swiss Army penknife, you know. You've got so many different creative skills. And what I want to do is just ask you straight up how you knew that you wanted to be a creative, and how you learned all these different creative disciplines from video editing to web design to product design. Talk to us about that. Okay. Oh, I think this question kind of takes me back, you know, to, you know, when I was much younger. So if you ask my family, they'll tell you I was notorious for just, you know, locking myself in a room, you know, just building stuff, you know, with like cello tapes and like, you know, the Frosties box or something, you know, so I've always had that creative touch, you know, from when I was young. And I guess the people around me would tell you that I was always destined to do great things in, you know, design or with art. So primarily I'm a, I'm an artist, I'm a visual artist. And it wasn't until I was about to leave high school that I really dabbled into design. So I remember it was a friend of mine. He's also my business partner. So he was a musician and he wanted, he wanted, he needed an, an artwork for his single that was about to drop. And he was like, Oh, you do 
this cool art stuff. Why not try design? You know, you could design something for me for my album cover. And I was like, I don't know about that, but, you know, I'll give it a try. So, you know, I just played around in Photoshop a bit. I know it wasn't, I think I played around in GIMP at the time. And, you know, the paint app that comes with, you know, every Windows PC, I think that was my first proper design tool so i played around with that and i was able to come up with something and then he was like oh this is really cool it was a thing like back then you know like people like oh i didn't know you designed too and i was like this is one of uh, one of the skills i just decided to pick up so um really since then i decided to dabble in design and kind of like teach myself the different tools that we had at the time i remember i was also interested in doing some animation stuff as well so if you dig deep into YouTube, um, you find uh, my YouTube channel, you'd see I did an animation almost 10, 11 years ago where I, it was for uh, an animated music video for a friend of mine. And we did that completely in Photoshop. We literally rotoscoped each frame for the music video. And I edited all of that, like putting all the frames together in um, was it Sony Vegas at the time? So archaic tools, but then that's what I pretty much used to learn. And that's what I was able to build on over the years and kind of get to where I am now. Awesome. So, I mean, you kind of started off as an artist and then you realized that design was even an option. And then you basically kind of followed your nose through design to product design and and now eventually making websites with Webflow and Framer. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That pretty much sums it up. I see on your LinkedIn that you went to University of Brighton International College. You learned tricks of the trade in England and and lived in England for a bit. Is that how it worked? Yeah, I spent about a year in England, you know, went to art school, you know, kind of learned some stuff. You know, I, I wouldn't say I learned everything there. I just pretty much learned a wide spectrum of different art disciplines you know, in like a condensed one-year program. So that's what that was. It wasn't anything too robust, but it was definitely a great experience, you know, living in Brighton, um, you know, meeting people from all around the world. That's awesome. And can you tell me and the listeners anything about the design scene in Nigeria? Because you started off saying that it's popping off. Like, like, can you give us some flavor of what it's like? Yeah, uh, it's really interesting the way design has, you know, really grown here in Nigeria. Um, and it's not just Lagos. I mean, when people here in Nigeria, they just think about, oh, it's Lagos. I mean, Lagos is the capital, but it's the business capital. People from different parts of, you know, the country, even parts that aren't as developed as Lagos, you know, people are still hustling and striving, you know, to kind of get their foot in the door in the tech space. Um, so it's really amazing to see I've seen so many like even every day like it keeps blowing my mind you know the level of talent we have and it's 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 amazing to see what you know people are able to do with the limited internet power supply we have you know but people keep pushing through like the tenacity is just amazing to see so it's it's really it's really amazing to see how the tech space and the design space in Nigeria is growing it's only getting better we're just getting more people on board you know people getting interested in design having and opening up many doors for other Nigerians as well so like me for instance like when we get into certain positions we're able to pull people along with us as well and you know expose them to other opportunities like they ordinarily wouldn't get that's that's pretty much what i want to work on this year i want to 
put as many people on as possible and, you know, try and get more involved in the communities as much as possible. Coming on from what you just said, if there are people that are doing amazing work that, you know, the Webflow community should know about and, and don't maybe, please do let me know and I'll I'll see, you know, maybe we can do a podcast episode with them because they're in the Twitter sphere, maybe just because, you know, I'm white, I'm from England, I follow English speaking people that are white as well, mm-hmm. maybe. And there's a, definitely a blind spot there. So that's something that I really want to improve for this year for the for the Webflow podcast. Speaking of Nigeria, then how has Nigerian culture like influenced your design style? Because like I said in the intro, your portfolio is very different to, you know, a lot of portfolios that I've seen. There's a lot of animation. It's quite playful. There's like splashes of color. And can you can you tell us a little bit about how your culture has like influenced your design style a bit? Yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, I kind of it kind of takes me back to, you know, like thinking about it. It actually has had an influence on the way I think about design. I've pretty much lived in Lagos pretty much all my life. So, you know, I'd say, you know, Lagos is we're very vibrant people, you know, the culture here is amazing. Lagos is a very colorful place. Um I think, you know, we have the yellow buses, the really popular yellow buses. Um, so I think I think I kind of picked up on that color and kind of use it as my theme, so to speak. So I'd say that's one way, you know, my environment has kind of influenced my design. Um, so, yeah, I think that's my color. I don't know why I picked it, I, but I just like it. Like, you know, like everything around me is kind of like built on that. Like I have like these paintings on the walls, these experiences, the environment, the people in different ways kind of shape me to the to the designer and artist that I am today. So let's get into your to your failures now. Tell me about failure number one then, talking about the challenges faced in transitioning in into web design and mistakes and failures you made along the way. Hmm. It's a meaty one. Um, okay, I'd say my transition kind of started proper probably mid last year into, you know, web design. I was telling someone this story like recently, so it's kind of fresh in my head. I was reached out to by someone who was hiring for UI UX product design role and asked if I knew anyone that was interested. Obviously, I'd, I'd been doing design, like probably just, you know, general graphic design, dabbled in some UX stuff for a company I worked at some um, sometime in late 2021. I had to think about it, couldn't come up with anyone, you know, off the top of my head. And I was like, hold on, let me see what this stuff is all about. And, you know, did some research, uh, really got into Figma, learning how to design in Figma. I had had some experience in Figma, but I just, you know, kind of left it, you know, when I really had no need for it anymore. So did some research, got back to the person. I was like, yeah, I think I would like to apply for this role, even though I have no experience. Got to the interview stage. We were given an assignment, which is like a really, really annoying stage in a design interview, because I mean, the portfolio should kind of speak for itself. But, you know, I decided to, you know, do the design challenge. I think a lot of people dropped off when they when they told us to do a design challenge, understandably so. And, you know, we're supposed to create this app where um, it's kind of like an education app. And we had a week. I had no knowledge of how to do that, how to wireframe, how to create prototypes. I had zero experience knowing how to do all these things. But then something in me, was just like you know follow through see see how far you can go in this you know just put my head down and just do the work so 
it was probably one of the longest weeks of my entire life. As crazy as it sounds, I was able to get it done in a week. And, you know, when we got to the, the next stage in the interview, I got the feedback that I didn't get the role. And then the feedback was that I was too experienced for the role, which did not make any sense whatsoever. So I think it was for a junior role. And then the guy was like that, oh, I'm too senior for this role. You know, because of like the work I presented to him, he felt like, oh, yeah, this is like, you know, a bit more advanced than what we we're expecting. Kind of took me back and I was like, where do I go from here? You know, so it, it, re it really put me in a rough spot. And obviously I needed a job as well. So not getting that role kind of put me back to square one. I had to think, oh, OK, I have to go back to the drawing board and I have to, you know, see how I can navigate this space because it piqued my interest. You know, like there was this entire world I hadn't discovered. It was a funny thing when I was waiting for feedback on the interview on on how that was going to go. I, I was casually, you know, just browsing YouTube on my TV one night and then an ad for Webflow came up and it was kind of showcasing all the different interactions and animations you could you could create. And there then the catch was like, oh, this is no code. Like you you don't need to have any experience to do all these things, you know, knowing how to code. And I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can do all these without knowing how to code. Yeah. I kind of just brushed it aside, but then when that happened and then I knew I needed to create a portfolio if I wanted to keep job hunting, I decided to, you know, give Webflow another look and see what it was all about. At the time, I think I was already building my portfolio in Wix. It was rubbish. Like, I, it, it never came out. I never posted it. It was complete rubbish because it was just extremely limiting. So when I looked into Webflow, I decided, oh, I've already finished building this in Wix and I have to build it entirely in Webflow again. That was a very jarring experience for me because I had absolutely no idea what I was doing in Webflow. And then the learning curve to learning Webflow was extremely steep. I was like, this is this is impossible. I'm not going to be able to do this in time because I knew I needed a job. I was pressed for cash. I did. I could not afford to, you know, spend all that time learning Webflow. And, you know, I felt like if I just went ahead with what I had with Wix, I probably wouldn't get any leads and you know, I'd be back to square one. So I was like, okay, you know, throw that in the trash. Let's start again. I decided to go all in on Webflow and, you know, learning that, learning how to create amazing stuff. Because then I went down the rabbit hole of seeing what people could create with Webflow and checking out resources like awards.com, seeing all the different amazing things people are able to do in Webflow. And then it took me back as well. I was like, okay, if I want to compete in this industry, these are the kind of people I'm going to be going up against. In order to stand out, you have to, you, you have to really stand out. You know, your work has to speak for itself. So, I mean, the Webflow University was so helpful. They have the most amazing tutorials, the, the best tutorials I've ever watched on any platform. You know, they're funny, they're insightful, and you actually learn stuff. So that was really helpful in trying to learn how to, you know, properly navigate the platform itself. So I think from that, at that point, from when I started when I decided to start learning Webflow, it took me about eight months of just constant learning, making mistakes. It was crazy. I remember when I when I did my first draft, because I think the one you're seeing right now is probably like the eighth draft. So when I did the first draft, I was designing in Webflow itself, which was the first big mistake. You should absolutely not do that. It's going <laughs> to... 
it's going to do more harm than good. So I was doing that. And then I was designing on, I think, a different breakpoint. And then when I went back to check, the, like, the rest of the site, like, nothing was, you know. So, like, there's so many things I, I didn't know at the time, you know, that I probably wish I knew then that I know now, you know. And, like, I had to make all those mistakes before getting to where I am right now. It, it took a lot of tenacity. It took a lot of not wanting to give up because there were so many times I wanted to give up. Okay, so let me just say back to you some of the things that you said, because there was a lot of little nuggets there. And I think it's really important that we recap. So you needed to get a job and you Mm -hmm. were strapped for cash. So what you did is you tried to skip the steps, as it were. You tried to like jump the gun, even though Webflow was actually quite difficult. You were just like, I'm just going to make it. And then actually Mm -hmm. that made the process way longer in the long run. So Mm -hmm. what you're advising people to do is, if at all possible take your time to actually learn how to do stuff and Mm. then apply that learning rather than try and slam a portfolio together. Because Mm -hmm. the other thing that you talked about is that, you know, to get international clients, if there is, you know, a trust factor in there to get those international clients, if you aren't necessarily like well-known in your industry and you don't have contacts, then it's really, really important that you have a portfolio that absolutely bangs, puts Mm -hmm. you apart from the competition and maybe building on Wix is going to be kind of limiting. So hence why you've why you've uh, chosen Webflow, it sounds like. If you were to give any advice to someone that's starting out in Nigeria, maybe, how would you, how did you go about getting clients and, and what steps would you advise people to take from there? Okay, I, I believe the Internet's your best friend. So just put your work out there. That's what I did. I, I hate I hate Twitter. I hate posting. I, I mean, I'm always on Twitter, but I. I don't post anything personal on there. You know, I'm either just posting about a a football match going on or, you know, some really cool thing that I, you know, did. I barely, barely posted my work on there. But, you know, after all that work, I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm not posting this on Twitter. So, you know, I I did that. You know, I found a creative way to kind of do that. I decided to, like, create a video kind of showcasing the highlights of the website and, you know, really intricate details on the on the portfolio page and that really got a lot of leads i mean it's a game of chance because the tweet could you know go under the rug or it could pop off you know it, it it's really, you just put it out there and pray to the twitter gods or the social media gods that you know it pops off and the right people will probably see and reach out to you i think that's the probably the best way to do it if that doesn't work or you could probably do it alongside what i'm about to tell you next and that's just to be tenacious on linkedin you know if you're if you want to meet high paying professional clients you have to be in the professional sphere you have to be on linkedin again i hate posting stuff on linkedin i hate posting stuff anywhere but you just have to you know i mean if you want to be seen you have to be seen you know you have to put it out there also from the habit of reaching out to people that you want to work with if you see an opening for a job that you feel you're a really good fit for send them a message be polite be respectful of your time you know give them you know all the best reasons why you'd be the best fit for that role and you know that's what I did and that's how I was able to get the position I'm in right now and you know so cold emails work cold messages work um you just have to be tenacious about you have to also be ready for rejections because there are going to be a lot of rejections so don't beat yourself up about it i kind of mentally prepared myself for that because like i told you in my where i'm where i'm from because of that trust issue i I believe it boils down to that trust issue 
a lot of Nigerians get rejected very, very easily. Or people, you know, in Africa tend to get rejected a lot more than, you know, elsewhere. So I was kind of seeing that on a daily basis. So it kind of mentally prepared me for, oh, okay, it's normal to get rejected. You know, it's not a knock on your talent. It's not a knock on the kind of work you're capable of. I just believe sometimes it's just not the right fit. The right person that's going to value the work you do is going to reach out to you and, you know, you're, you're going to work with them. So that's the way I, that's the way I saw it. So you have to mentally prepare yourself for that. Not everyone is going to appreciate your work. Design is so subjective. Art is so subjective. So, you know, some of my see and like it, some of my see and be like, yeah, this is not the guy for us. So you just have to be prepared for that. So I, th- I think those are my tidbits on, you know, getting started in, in the space. Really interesting advice there. You talk about expect rejection. This advice, it's simple in, you know, it, it makes sense, but it's very, very mm-hmm. hard for people to actually have the self-worth and, and self-respect to just accept that there are people for them and that there are people who will reject them. How did you learn Mm -hmm. to just take rejection in the way that you have? Because you speak about it like, oh, it's really obvious. You're going to get rejected. But actually, some people might get rejected once and then be like, I'm done. So how did Mm -hmm. you uh, develop that character? I think it's just an idea of being realistic and true to yourself. You know, if if you think you're the shit, yeah, okay, yeah, my work is so good. Uh, I'm never getting rejected. Honestly speaking, I was kind of feeling that way when I was done. I was like, oh, yeah, I spent all this time. You know, I'm not going to – I was still getting rejection. So, you know, it's, it brings you, you know, off the pedal story. It brings you back to earth. And it just shows you that you're not everybody's cup of tea. You know, your work, like I said, it's design is so subjective. And then I also – realize that the way some of these systems work it's sometimes they're not even viewing your work it just goes into an into an automated system and then it just rejects them for you so they might have found their person and then okay just reject everyone else so they probably haven't even gotten to you yeah and i think also like you become more and more accustomed you can become more and more comfortable with rejection the more rejections you have so Mm -hmm. like if you get rejected once go and get rejected again Go and get rejected a mm-hmm. hundred times, and then mm-hmm. you, you know you won't even you won't even blink if someone just says no to you. And I think just doing it enough will develop the character you need to accept rejection and carry on with your life without getting too upset about it. But yeah, mm-hmm. really, really powerful advice there. So thanks for sharing that. Let's yeah, uh, talk welcome. about failure number two now. Then taking on too many projects at the same time. Yes, dealing with multiple deadlines. Talk to me about that. That's what I'm currently going through right now. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a thing. It's a thing that people might not think of. You know, it's it, it really boils down to finding it hard to say no to clients, especially when you're just starting out, because I don't feel like a veteran in the space. I don't feel like, even though I've been designing for so long, taking on too many clients, it happened to me recently because I felt like, oh, I, I, I would find it really hard to say no to people. You know, I felt like, oh, okay, I could probably just slot this in my weekend or I could do this, you know, here and there, you know, I could touch it at least like five times a week, you know, between Monday to Friday. I had a scheduling problem, which was an after an afterthought to, you know, after taking on the client, I just quickly realized that, oh, these deadlines are kind of clashing. So how do I go about that? So 
the ultimate compromise is your time. So this was during the Christmas break. Most of the time when I'm supposed to be spending my time enjoying Christmas and spending time with family, I was at home working. So that was the compromise. So I think biting off more than you can chew is a thing that happens in design. I don't think I'm the only one that's guilty of that. I think that's happened to the best of us. I'd probably advise against that because the truth is once I'm done with this slate of projects, I'm taking a break because I need a break. <laughs> it's it's the healthy thing to do. Just take a breather, you know, regroup. When you feel like, okay, I've had enough time to myself, I probably want to get out there again. Probably, you know, that's probably the best thing to do. But yeah, just to touch on that as well, dealing with clients. So as much as having that very expansive slate, dealing with those clients, you know, when you have these closed deadlines is a, is a thing in itself. I had a I had an experience with a client where they had a strict deadline. And, you know, given the time that I was going to be free to work on the project, I gave them a timeline, you know, in accordance to that deadline. It worked in such a way that two to three weeks before the project was meant to go live, they really hadn't seen anything you know, develop because I was kind of working in the background and then I knew that I was going to have a week where I was going to be free to like, you know, properly dive in. And then, you know, we had these issues where, oh, it's been two weeks, haven't seen anything. I'm like, it's in the timeline. I gave you the time. I knew I was going to be free this week. That's why I gave you the timeline. So, you know, dealing with stuff like that is, it's a pain. People can be a pain, you know, but I try as much as possible to be as transparent as possible with, you know, the clients that I work with. Okay, but, yeah. cool. So, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of different advice there. One, check on clashing deadlines before accepting mm-hmm. projects. That sounds like a big, mm-hmm. a big one. Um, the mm-hmm. second one I think is important maybe to talk about is when clients have ambitious deadlines, sometimes all it takes is just to ask why. And then you might have more room to play with than they say initially is if they're Mm -hmm. like hey we need this done in a month or we need Mm -hmm. this done in a week or whatever it is if you just say why because then they it might just be like a a deadline that's completely arbitrary and it means that you're putting Mm -hmm. they're putting tons of stress on you which they don't actually need to if you Mm -hmm. if they say why then you say well do you have the content because if we're going to do this i need everything so i i yeah i'd also recommend pushing back on the client just or not pushing back but just saying hey like there's that's a very ambitious deadline why is that such an ambitious deadline just just to quickly chime in it's crazy because i had a client that you know was really pressing me on the on the schedule we had and they were pushing for an early january launch the crazy thing is we've gotten the project to i'd say about 80 percent, and now i haven't heard from them <laughs> in weeks so why was all that pressure being put on me at that time if, you know, we're nowhere near the launch because of pending stuff on your end? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I agree with the pushback thing because at the same time, not pushback, I don't want to use that word because you, you're, you're dancing around that word as well, but just letting them know or kind of educating them on how these things kind of work and how best to approach that kind of project and getting the best results because I believe ultimately the result is what really matters that's the most important thing that's the way i see it and advice for any freelancers that are like dealing with multiple deadlines how many projects is too many projects i know that's very subjective depending on how quickly Mm -hmm. you work and maybe how big the tasks are but do you take on generally like two website projects at a go or are you dealing with more than that or kind of how are you approaching freelancing truth is i have a day job 
where I do mostly Webflow stuff. So I believe that's kind of helped me build a lot faster, which has definitely helped with the freelance stuff as well. So I do freelance in my off hours and on the weekends. So I usually, I generally schedule, you know, meetings during that time. I schedule the way I'm going to work on those projects. So dealing with those multiple deadlines, it really comes down to how well you plan your time. So you just need to have a proper schedule for, oh, I want to work on website A this weekend. I want to be able to get all these things done. I want to be able to do the, the different sections. I want to be able to do the cookie content. I want to be able to do all of that this weekend. So, you know, just having a proper schedule, that's really what's going to save you from, you know, the headaches of dealing with clients saying, oh, where's my website? Oh, why is this not working? You know, it's just having a proper schedule. I, I think that's the only solution to that kind of problem, you know, yeah. because if you keep dancing around it freestyling your way through it is just gonna become a mess i've and, been in those situations in the past <laughs> it yeah can be a mess and also like being transparent with the clients that you're working with you know if both of you know what the deadline is and i'd recommend building in some buffer as well like if you can say oh this is going to take five weeks and if you think you can get it done in four then that's going to look better but if you oh yeah definitely better, definitely building that definitely buffer. Possible. So, so sometimes there's, a, there's there's also a trick that if you get this done too quickly, it reduces the quality of the work. So they feel, oh, paid you this much and you did it in a week. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes you might have that lead time. You might have, oh, a week to do it, but you can get it done in two days. I'm still going to take the whole week to do it because I don't want any pushback on how long it took me to do it. Let's talk about uh, failure number three underpricing mm. <laughs> <laughs> underpricing I, th I feel like as a designer i've pretty much underpriced my entire career but that comes from a place of seeing the bigger picture so let me kind of break that down if you're starting out obviously you can't charge your desired prices you obviously have to be competitive it's a, there's so much competition in the design space so you have to you have to price yourself competitively to be able to you know oh i can get this done for x amount but you know this guy can do it for a lesser amount and he's not bad i mean i've seen his work he's not bad if you're starting out i would advice to you know just get your foot in the door just you know kind of test the waters test how it's like to work with clients you actually want to get clients so you know if they're pricing you bad you might just have to stomach it for you know, the time being, but then obviously as you progress through your career and you get to certain stages in your career, you feel like, and you're confident in your work. You feel like, Oh, okay. I've gotten to this stage. I feel like I should be charging more. Never compromise on that. When you feel like, you know, you've established yourself, you've put in the work, you've invested properly in your tech, it's your gear, it's your, your time you've invested in courses. You feel like, Oh, okay. I can take that next step definitely charge what you you feel you're worth and do not compromise on that because if you kind of undercharge at that stage you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because people generally just want to get their money's worth even if they're paying you know 100 bucks or 500 bucks they're like okay i'm spending this money but then again it depends on the client there are people who don't care you know they're like oh okay we, there's this joke about the fifty thousand dollar clients and the five hundred dollar clients you know five hundred dollar clients wanting the moon and stars and, you know the fifty thousand dollar client not giving a shit they just want to get the work done so you know obviously everybody wants the higher paying client you know that doesn't give a shit but 
you know that's that's in a world with unicorns and whatnot it, it's, it doesn't happen all the time so i feel like when you've established yourself you know professionally you should definitely charge what you're worth what you feel like you're worth and i gave you that story about where i was working you know mid 2021 where i seriously undercharged myself and I knew I was undercharging myself but then the opportunities I knew this was gonna and the doors I knew was gonna open for me were well worth taking on that hit financially working there I got to meet different people you know got to connect with other professionals in the space so you know it was just that the platform in itself was gonna give me a lot more than you know whatever the monetary value was going to be. So I feel like those are the, you know, rare instances where you can, you know, take the hit and then you probably stand to gain more in the long run. You know, so, you, you know, you're thinking more long-term than, you know, what you can just gain now. So that's, that's what I was referring to when I gave you that example. So, yeah, I mean, when you're starting out, just, you know, get your foot in the door. That's the way I see. It, and then, you know, move up from there. So, you know, you can't just start, oh, you know, I started learning Figma today. I started learning Webflow today, and then I want to charge ten thousand dollars for a website. So it's not, not going to work that way. You need to progress in stages. That's the way I see it. I think there's a like fetishization of ten k clients, and it takes years to to get the confidence, mm-hmm. confidence, skill set, network to to get to that stage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really, really important to start wherever you start, and things are going to move up from there. The longer you the longer you do it, really, I, I don't think it's any mm-hmm. more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Big, for sure. Powerful advice there. I, I like the way that you said, though, that, you know, if you're thinking about long term opportunities, there might be opportunities that come or, for example, like a friend of mine wanted to set up like a clothing brand. This is like when I was like right at the start of freelancing. And he was like, I've got like 500 quid. And I was like, okay, then, well, let's. <laughs> this is going to be so much work, but let's just do it. I was looking at this like a portfolio piece with mm-hmm. my mate that I really enjoyed like hanging out with, obviously. So I enjoyed working mm-hmm. with him. And, and, you know, if you think of it from the point of view of like, this could be marketing material for me to actually get paid clients. In the end, I think it was was worth it from that perspective. So I think it's important to think like, you know, maybe this job isn't the best paid, but what can it give me? What can I learn from? What kind of networking circles does this put me in, in the context of choosing clients? And if anyone wants to ask you anything about the episode or follow up with anything that you've said, should they contact you on Twitter? And if so, what's your what's your handle? Yeah, so my, my handle, it's on screen. It's Dwemer Arts. I think that's my handle on pretty much all socials. So yeah, definitely reach out to me. I'm pretty open. I think my DMs are open. Um, Just reach out to me if you have any questions, um, thoughts. So we've talked about a hell of a lot here, but let's wrap mm-hmm. up this episode by a more difficult question. What is your next mm. failure going to be? Hmm. What's my next failure to be going to be? Hmm. If 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 I end off the year, you know, the same way I started, I, I guess I'd consider that a failure. So not achieving, you know, the goals that I've set throughout the year for myself and how I plan to establish myself professionally. During our break, I'm sure you checked out my YouTube channel. I definitely want to get back on that. You know, there's so many things I want to do. You know, I feel like 
you know, I'm in a place right now where I can dabble into these things. So, which is, which is amazing because it's one thing to do something from a place of hunger. And then it's one thing to do something you love from a place of, oh, okay, I can do this now. Like I don't, I'm not thinking about, you know, so many different things. So that's what, those are my goals this year. That's what I'm, I want to achieve this year. So if I'm not able to cross off at least two three four things off that list then i'll consider that a failure not necessarily a failure but you know just shortcomings not achieving set goals and i mean not everything is going to be achievable but you know all we can do is try really thanks so much for listening to episode 28 of webflare with dememe and thank you to dememe for obviously coming on the show and sharing such wisdom with us i think the thing that really stood out from this episode for me is tenacity of Nigerian designers and how in Nigeria um, you don't necessarily have consistent internet depending on where you live you know you don't necessarily have consistent electricity and people desire to learn despite uh, the setbacks that you know they have it's really really inspiring to hear that there's so much talent in Nigeria and I'm certainly excited to uh, interview more Nigerians. And Dememe actually sent me a list of people that he thinks I should interview, which is going to be epic. Next week, I will be interviewing Nancy Peng from Slam Media. She is someone I used to work with, and she's insanely clever. So I'm very, very excited to get her on. Until next week, Webflailers. Webflailers.